So let's open with a word of prayer and then we'll get to the lesson. Father, we thank you for your hand over the families of this church, over Greg and Rini and their family, especially uh, battling this virus. Uh, we pray for our nation, for uh, all of the uh, trials and stresses and, and things that are, that are going on. We particularly pray for your church that we be able to continue to meet, to pray, sing, and worship you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, today we are going to be in Genesis, starting chapter 37. We are do, we're looking at the life of Joseph. And we're going to actually go through his whole life, so we're, we are just going to hit the high points. But the theme that, you, that I want you to be aware of is that trials and some very bad things happened to Joseph of which he was innocent of. He had no part of. Uh, things that were outside of his control, bad things happened to him. And the point is, even though he couldn't see it, he continued serving the Lord, continued in faith, but it didn't magically fix his situation. And the you know, it's a very good thing to, you know, study the scriptures and to know what happens, but it's even better when you can apply it to your lives. And particularly what we've all gone through in the last three or four months with this virus, the stress, the trials, the job losses, your kids, you, know, you name it, the sicknesses, all of this is outside of our control. We are, in a sense, innocent of that, just like Joseph was innocent of the things that happened to him. And so we need to apply what, how Joseph reacted to our lives, because there, there are people out there who profess that if you come to Christ, that you have this happy life and nothing bad ever happens to you. And if, and if you pray, everything will be wonderful the next day. And that's not what we see in scripture. And the danger of that is, if you're thinking that way, it's gonna be very hard to keep you know, your faith vibrant because you're saying, well, where's God? Is things out of control? So that's the application. So let's look at the life of Joseph. And what I'll do is I'll give some Genesis 37. And we'll, we'll go all the way to uh, the end of Genesis chapter 50. So obviously we're gonna just hit the high points. The background here, so you, we understand who Joseph was, you know, the promise that God made was to Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And the promise to Abraham was that he would create a great nation from him that would be a light to all the nations. Now, at this point in, in Genesis, it hasn't happened. Abraham's died, his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons. Joseph is son number 11 of the group. Now, one of the things that's always important to remember is God has, 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 has a plan. He's told us things how we should think and act, and when we 
stray from that pattern, things don't go well. Let's look at Jacob, uh, Joseph's father. Well, Jacob had four wives. <laughs> and if you remember, he, he fell in love with Rachel. But Rachel's father, Laban, said, well, you work for me for seven years, and then I'll give you Rachel. So he works the seven years, goes into the, the marriage tent, and she's veiled, and to his horror, he finds out in the morning, it's not Rachel, it's Leah, who is the older sister. Who, Leah, L-E-A-H. She's the older sister, kind of uh, dull-eyed, not the one that he wanted, and Laban says, well, I have to marry off the older sister first. And so Joseph says, or uh, he says, well, I'll work another seven years for you if you give me Rachel now. And so he does. And over time, Leah, the one he doesn't really love, has four kids. Rachel's barren. Rachel says, here, take, take my my maidservants and have children through her for me. And then, and she does, so then Leah gets jealous and says, well, here, take my maidservant and have some children to them. So the first 10 children are from this. And finally, Rachel has a son, Joseph, and then Benjamin. They're the last two. So big mistakes here. Jacob shows incredible favoritism to Joseph. So how do you think all the stepbrothers are going to react to that? They hate him. <laughs> and also, this dysfunctional family that's now created is because God said in the beginning, there's one man and one woman. And this is a long way away from that. So again, Joseph has 10 brothers that really hate him. Is this anything he did? You know, he's really innocent of that. This is something that's happening outside of him that he can't avoid. So that's, this is where he has. So now, one night he has a dream. And the dream is that his sheaf, and a sheaf is uh, like grain where you would pile it up and bind it and stand it up, you know, out bringing in the, the crop. And he says, well, he, and he tells his brothers this. We were out doing the sheaves, and my sheave rose up, and yours all rose up, and then they bowed down to me. Now, this doesn't go well with the brothers, so they hate him even more. Soon after that, he tells him another dream. He said, I saw the sun, moon, and 11 stars bow down to me. The sun and the moon as his parents, and the 11 stars are the brothers. So they have this incredible hatred for Joseph. Maybe this wasn't the smartest thing for him to tell them, but he hasn't done anything wrong yet, right? So life goes on. The brother, all the brothers go off and they take sheep somewhere to try to find food for them. And Jacob says to Joseph, go, go check on your brothers. You know, make sure everything's okay. Now, if you remember, this is the Joseph with what we call the coat of many colors. Jacob, again, showing gross favoritism to one son. It really was a tunic. They wore, you know, like a tunic. But it was very colorful, and it was very obvious 
that this is the favorite son and the rest of you, you're just here to work. So Joseph obeys. He knows the brothers hate him, but he goes out and he looks for him. And when they see him coming and they say, here comes that dreamer, let's kill him. So uh, Joseph comes there and they, they apprehend him and they throw, they throw him in a pit, an old a cistern, and they're going to come back and kill him. But one of the oldest brothers says, hey, let's not kill him and have this blood on his hand. Here comes some Ishmaelite traders, uh, like a camel caravan. They trade goods and services, slaves, whatever. So they say, let's just take them out of the pit and sell them to those guys. We'll get some money in our pocket. He'll be gone. We'll take his tunic, put blood all over it, take it back to dad and say, an animal must have got him. So they'll be rid of the brother they hate. They'll have some money in their hands. And what could go wrong? <laughs> so that's what they do. So they, they sell him off to be a slave to the, these traders. Now that's chapter 37. Now chapter 38, we'll, we'll pretty much skip because Joseph's not involved in it, but it's this long chapter about the immoral, dysfunctional things that all the brothers do. Now, now these are supposed to be the tribes that make up the nation of Israel eventually. And it's a good reminder that um, God works through fallen people and does great things through them. Um, and so his brothers, that chapter, we'll skip it. It's just this horror stories of what this family is like. So finally, Joseph is carried to Egypt. He's sold off as a slave. But verse 2 says, and the Lord was with Joseph. Now, if I'm Joseph, I'm not really feeling that all, all that much, right? You know, this, this is not uh, a happy thing. But that's the point, that even during this awful situation that he's not responsible for, he is trusting in God to, to rescue him, to do something. So what happens is eventually he's such a, uh, he's so intelligent, such a trusting good worker, he ends up being a Potiphar, his right-hand man. So he's essentially the most important guy in all of Egypt. So it's like, okay, well, that's kind of an interesting thing of, of God providing in a situation that he, he was innocent of. But, um, you know, it's interesting. And in Genesis, it's chapter 39, verse 5. It says, so it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, talking about Joseph, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Isn't that interesting? Because you had a righteous, godly leader, God blesses this, the whole pagan country. And, you know, the, this is the effect of righteous men and women on society. It is interesting, though, that God will sometimes 
use a pagan to bring about this something that he wants. Um, this is a very different time frame, but when Israel was exiled by the Babylonians, they were taken from Jerusalem off to Babylon by the Babylonians for 70 years. When the Babylonians are defeated by the Persians, Cyrus is the king of the Persians. And so what's he gonna do with these Jewish captives? And God says of Cyrus, who is a pagan, uh, idol-worshiping king, he says, God says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. In other words, God put it in the heart of this pagan king, not only to allow the Jews to go back to Jerusalem, he funded them, he protected them, and it got done. So God can work through righteous men. He can work through pagans. So this is you know, what you want to look at as we're running through Joseph's life here. God is always working. You don't always see it, and you don't always see the outcome either. Um, back to the Jewish captives, that's uh, Daniel. If you know if Daniel was a captive, and he was captive for the 70 years in, in Babylon, he never returned. He never saw Jerusalem again. You may not see the good outcome of what God is doing. And this is where faith and trust in the Lord is what, what carries you, is what's true. Because um, sometimes we aren't going to see it. Things that are happening in our country now Maybe they straighten out, maybe they get a whole, whole bunch worse, and all we live to see is the really bad stuff until 20, 30, uh, how long are we gonna live here? 50 years from now, uh, things change drastically to the good. We don't know that, but we may not see that. Um, one of the things that just riles me up as I saw this commercial the other day for this guy named Popoff. He's, he's supposedly some Christian guy selling little packets of miracle water. <laughs> you send him money, obviously, and you get this little thing. You know, it looks like the little ketchup packets. And you get this, and on the commercial, oh, as soon as I got this, I got $20,000 in the mail, and I got a big promotion in a house. You know, this, this is a false teacher. Because if you believe that and say you're, you're a new believer, you're going to be really disappointed. You're going to say, what good is, is worshiping this God if these things don't happen? But Joseph is a good example. So the first big thing that he's innocent of, it's not his fault, is that his brothers hate him because of his father's actions and the brother's actions, all the jealousy. Secondly, he gets thrown in a pit and sold to Egypt as a slave. He didn't have uh, anything to do with that. He didn't participate in that. So now, what happens? Joseph rises up to be the second in command of Egypt. What could go wrong? Well, Joseph was kind of a young, good-looking guy, and Potiphar's wife starts to try to seduce him every time he comes into the, 
into the, uh, the mansion. And he keeps saying, no, no, no. She keeps it up day after day after day. He's, he, you know, he, he thinks that's good enough. So finally, uh, she gets tired of trying this. And he, he flees, but she grabs his garment and keeps it. Now, she, now she's a woman scorned here, right? So when Potiphar comes back, he says, look, that Hebrew slave you brought here tried to, tried to attack me. And here's the proof. I've got his garment. So what happens? He gets thrown in prison for trying to attack his, the wife. Now, again, he's innocent of this, but God even provides then when this bad thing is happening. He's thrown into what's called the king's prison. Now there's two levels of prisons back then. There's the king's prison, which is where people that, have, that, have, that work for the king, they offend him in some way. They go to this king's prison, which is a nicer prison. I guess you can call it that. The other prison is, is for the criminals and the murderers and, and those kinds of people. Well. Joseph goes to the king's prison, and again, which is somewhat merciful because the other place is just horrible. So what happens? Again, Joseph is, he doesn't mope and cry. He's very productive. He, he works his way up that he's in charge of the prison after a while. So these things, these bad things that keep happening to him, he just keeps being faithful he keeps trusting God, and he ends up being in charge. But again, he's still in prison. <laughs> so eventually, and this is chapter 40, there are two prisoners, new prisoners come in there. Uh, the butler who, who brings the, uh, the drinks to the king and the baker who would bring the, the bread and that. And somehow they offended the king, so the king throws them into this prison. <laughs> um, one night, the butler has a dream that um, he sees a vine with, with these grapes growing it, and then he crushes them into wine, and he serves it to the king. That's, that's his dream. So Daniel, Daniel, Joseph interprets it and saying, in three days' time, you're going to be let out of prison, and you'll be back serving the king. So he liked that. So the baker says, I had a dream, too. <laughs> He said, I, I had a dream that I had uh, like a basket on my head filled with bread and, and the birds came and ate, you know, picked it all and took it all away. And Joseph said, well, that means in three days, the king's going to pull you out of here and hang you. <laughs> and three days later, that's exactly what happened. The, the butler is released and goes, serves the king and the baker gets hanged. Now, when the butler is leaving, Joseph says, don't forget about me. <laughs> you know, t tell the, the king that, that I, can, I can interpret dreams like that. Well, the butler, once he gets out, he forgets about, he forgets about Joseph. Not important to him. So time goes on. Now we're on chapter 41. Pharaoh got, now where are these dreams coming from? These dreams are coming directly from God. He gives the dreams, but he doesn't give the interpretation. He gives Joseph the ability to interpret it. So 
Pharaoh has this dream of uh, seven really fat cows coming up out of the, the river. And then right after them, these seven really thin, scrawny cows come up and they devour the seven fat cows and they still look like little skinny, starving cows. And so that's the dream that the Pharaoh, of, of course, or Potiphar, of course, uh, calls all of his wise men and magicians and says, what does this mean? None of them can, they don't know. But the butler finally speaks up. He says, hey, there's this guy in the prison that interpreted dreams for me. Why don't you go ask him and bring him here? So they go and get Joseph. And Potiphar says to him, you know, I hear you can interpret dreams. And he says, well, it is not in me, but God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So Joseph interprets the dream. Again, here's God providing in a bad situation, but not removing him from the bad situation. So Joseph interprets the dreams. He says, there's going to be seven years of plenty for, for all the crops and then seven years of famine. So Pharaoh says, well, what am I supposed to do? And Joseph says, well, build warehouses and take 20% of every crop, sock it all away, because when the seven years of famine come, we'll, we'll have grain. And he says, good idea, you're in charge. So now Joseph is, again, taken out of prison, put in the, the highest responsibility you can have. So... Um, he builds the storehouses, and this goes on for the seven years. And lo and behold, after that, there's a great famine, not only in Egypt, but in that whole area, which includes Canaan or Israel, where Jacob and his family is. So finally, Jacob says to the brothers, go down to Egypt. Now, he doesn't know any of this about Joseph. He thinks Joseph's dead. Go down to Egypt buy some grain and bring it back or we're going to starve and die. So that's what they do. So the brothers come and they ask if they can buy grain. And Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. Partly because it's many years later and the Joseph would have this very elaborate kind of mask almost on in his position. So they don't know that it's Joseph they're talking to. So, but Joseph sees it's his brothers. So he accuses them of being spies. He says, you didn't come for the grain. You came to spy on our country. And they, you know, they say, no, no, no. And Reuben, the oldest son, realizes, he says, our blood is required of us because God is, must have revealed to this guy what we did to our brother Joseph. So um, there's, only, there's only the ten brothers, but not Benjamin, which was the youngest son, the other son of Rachel, who is, no doubt is now the favorite. And Joseph asks them how many brothers he has, and they said, well, there's ten of us. We have one brother that's still we didn't bring. So Joseph, he's pretty smart. He says, well, to prove you're not spies, go get that brother and bring him here, and then I'll know you told me the truth. And I'll keep one of, your, I'll keep one of you guys here as a captive. 
you know, so that you will come back. So he finally basically let, lets them go, and they they go back to the, the, the promised land, and they tell Jacob that he says, "Where's the grain?" <laughs> and they say he wouldn't sell us any grain unless we bring back the little brother Benjamin. And he says, why did you tell him we had a brother Benjamin? <laughs> and they say, well, we, he was just asking about our family. We didn't know he was going to do this. And for a long time, he says, I, I'm not letting Benjamin out of my sight. I'm not going to do it. But eventually, they're starving. They, ju they just need the food. So he says, well, take them and go back. <laughs> so they, they go back. So all of them are now there. So they show up again and they say, here we are. Here's Benjamin who we told you about. And now Joseph, he, he, he's so overwhelmed, he, he goes to another room and he just weeps because these are his brothers. And again, you know God is working in Joseph's heart because he's in a real position to do some really bad things to these brothers that hated him and tried to kill him and he is showing mercy to them so and I think this is kind of a funny scene it's chapters 43 and 44 he invites them to a big feast all 11 of them you know over here in 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 the big castle and there's this beautiful room and all this food and they are scared to death it's like why is he picking us out out of all the people that come for grain and having this dinner and they think we don't know why this this pharaoh's head guy is doing this but it it's probably not good <laughs> you know maybe he still believes we're spies and he's taking us off to the side to have us kill so they're they trembling they they go they don't have a choice and so at this point, in chapter 45 and 46, Joseph reveals himself to his brother. He says, I am Joseph, your brother. You know, and they are just shocked. I mean, they, they know they had him killed or, or sent into slavery, you know, so many years ago. And they are trembling. But what he's, Joseph says to them, it's chapter 45, verse 7 and 8. He says, and God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So Joseph understands that all these, these things that have happened to him have put into a position to essentially save the 12 tribes of Israel to fulfill the promise that was made to Abraham. And this is the way that God brought it about. While all these things were going on, it's, these are not random bad things that God is running around trying to think of a new plan every time something bad happens. This is the way that God brought this about. And there was no other way to do it. So, you know, they are, they are shocked, happy. They, they don't quite know how to deal with this. 
But Joseph says to them, go back to Canaan, go back to Jacob and tell them all of this and get all of your family, all the Hebrews that are in the promised land and bring all of them here to Egypt. Now, if, if you've ever read the, the verse that says God's ways are not our ways, if it's me, I'm thinking, okay, God has promised that the family of Abraham will inherit the promised land. And now through Joseph, he's just holding him, take all of them out of the promised land and bring them to Egypt. That's not what I would have thought to do. <laughs> and, you know, if we're watching, if we were just watching this from the outside, you would say, this is a really bad plan, <laughs> or this is, this is a failure. God's people are not going to be in the promised land. They're all over here a long way in Egypt. And it's a good reminder of when we look around at either our nation or our families or our lives, whatever our situation is, it may look exactly the opposite of what God has promised, but this is how he carries out his plan through our lives. And sometimes we're in a position where we can actually see it kind of looking back and saying, ah, I, I see why this happened. Other times, nope, you just will never really know other than you know that God is good and God is faithful. This is why this is happening. And this is not easy. You know, this, this, is, this is not an easy thing. Um, so, if you remember when God brought them out of uh, Ur of the Chaldees, God wanted them to be a separate nation, not to intermarry and just become like all the other nations. You know, he, he wanted them to be a separate community. Like if you took any community of people and you, you separated them out, they'll stay as a community of people. But if you kind of disperse them to the general population, they'll mix and, and there won't be a noticeable community or nation after a while. So what God does is he brings them to Egypt. Joseph says, Well, Pharaoh says to him, where, where do you want them to go? And Joseph says, to the land of Goshen, which was a very fertile place in Egypt, away from everybody else. And Pharaoh says, fine, whatever you want to do is great with me. So they go and they set up their community, all the, all the Jews that, that came. They don't interact or intermingle with the pagans because they are off by themselves. They're not in slavery. It's not some you know, desolate desert place. It's a place where you can grow crops and it's a decent kind of place. So that's how God preserved them as a separate nation. So this is where what he did. Oh, also they were, they were shepherds, right? This is where, remember, Joseph went to find his brothers because they had the flocks. Well, in Egypt, Shepherds were like the lowest of the low class. They were dirty and smelly and uneducated and 
We don't even want them around. We're happy if they want to go be off in Goshen. We don't have to deal with them or see them or have anything to do with them. So it worked kind of both ways that there was no uh, temptation for them to move into Egyptian society because they would have been not accepted. They, they would have been people they didn't want around. So this is how God preserved the community that he wishes to bless and make into a nation. So while they're all, they all are there, they're well taken care of, Joseph buys up all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. Because what would happen is originally people from other countries would come, they would have money and Joseph would sell them grain. And so they, Egypt became incredibly wealthy. But eventually, even the Egyptians ran out of money. So they started to bring their animals. They bring their, their cows and their horses and their sheep to trade for grain or they're going to starve. And then after they've done that, they need more grain. What do they have left to give? Only the land that they owned. So they would come and they would deed over their land to, to Joseph, to the Pharaoh, so that they could stay alive. And eventually, Pharaoh owns all of Egypt. Uh, you know, he's become the wealthiest ruler in the world. And so this is the position Joseph is in. You know, it's a strange provision by God that Joseph, you know, went from being in the promised land with his family. Now he is through, through the prison and the, the wife uh, getting him thrown in prison. He's now basically the second richest powerful man in the world. But it's a good provision, but it's not what God promised. You know, uh, you know, what God had promised was that he would make a great nation of them in the promised land. But again, it's a mixed bag. Joseph really has no control over it. He can't just say to Pharaoh, you know, I want to quit this job. I want to move to uh, over here to Canaan. Well, he can't do that. So God, sometimes when you look at things, they're a mix of blessings and not fulfilling what you would think needed to be fulfilled. So eventually, this goes on and on. Jacob, the father, he's getting much, much older, and he makes Joseph vow that he would bury him in the promised land when he dies. And Joseph says, yep, you know, I'm, I'm powerful enough. I can, I can get that done. So these end up being the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, this is, if you look at this from just a, no spiritual eyes, it's like the nation of Israel, these 12 tribes are these 10 brothers that are horrible, <laughs> plus Joseph and plus Benjamin. But this is how God works. He works through fallen people. Uh, and not just 
kind of gets them up, he, he blesses them and prospers them. You know, there are people in the line of Christ. Uh, Ruth, that was uh, a Moabite. You know, there, there's all kinds of things where God, when he calls you into his family, you are a first-class family member. <laughs> You're not, well, you were you know, pretty bad before, so we're going to always be a second-class family member. It's not how God works. It's how we work sometimes. But, you know, this is what happens. Uh, and if you've ever studied the book of Revelation, remember the, the 144,000 that God says to set aside for me? What those are is, and this is during the tribulation period, that's 12,000 people from each of the 12 tribes. So 12,000 times 12 is 144,000. And they were basically, they were evangelists. That was, that was their job, to go around during the tribulation. They were Jews telling of Christ, revealing Christ to the Jews. And so th this is the background of who those people were. <laughs> You know, this is what God can do. You know, there's no uh, limit to whatever somebody's background was or where they came from or what they're able to do. You know, what you'll find a lot of times if there's a, a really good project or activity to do that will bless others and you say, that's kind of overwhelming. I've never done anything like that before. Well, God may have brought you to that position to exactly do that, to grow into it, to make some mistakes, to be able to, to do these things. That's who God wants. He doesn't want all the, the perfect leader types. You know, he, he wants his people and he empowers you. And that's not an easy thing because we're all, you know, we all have our comfort zone and you know we don't like to get out of this so anyway this goes on for quite a while and finally Jacob the father passes away and you think okay well that kind of be the end of the story but Joseph's brothers the the brothers who hated him who were worried you know that Joseph was going to kill them at the beginning the first thing they think here, it's, it's Genesis chapter 50, starting in verse 19. They, well, the brothers are now afraid because they're saying, you know, Joseph may have just kept us alive for the sake of the father, and that's why he didn't kill us. But now that he's dead, maybe now he's going to take vengeance and, and kill us. So this is Joseph's reaction to them. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? Remember the scripture that says, leave room, do not take vengeance, leave room for God vengeance. And that's what Joseph is saying. Am I in the place of God to take vengeance on you? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And the reason why was in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. 
Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones and be comforted. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And that's, you know, we, we hear that phrase every now and then that you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That oftentimes the, the actions of evil people that appear to succeed, God brings it about for the good that he's planned from eternity. Because in this case, it saved many people alive. If this whole thing hadn't happened, all of, Abra all of Jacob's sons and Jacob would have died in the famine in, in, uh, in Israel. There would have been no promise fulfilled. And God always fulfills his promises. And what, what we, th we think is kind of slow in fulfilling his promises is not. Here's the, here's the promise that this whole thing carried out. It's Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. There's one promise. I will bless you and make your name great, Abraham. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the second promise. God isn't just promising to bless Israel. He's promising to bless all the families of the earth. That means all the families outside of Israel, not just the Jews, the Gentiles. That's how we are blessed by all of this happening. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed Haran. That promise is fulfilled through Joseph's life because at this point, it certainly doesn't look like it because uh, Joseph, Joseph lived to be 110 years old. And he's, he dies and he gets buried in the promised land. And it's like, wait a minute. There's not a great nation in the promised land. It hasn't happened. Well, what happens after that? After this Pharaoh that, you know, was new Joseph, the next Pharaoh's down the line, they don't know who Joseph is. They don't care. And all they see is, hey, all these Hebrews over here in this land, they're multiplying like crazy. If we're ever in a war, we don't know how loyal they are to us. This, this, is, this is dangerous. And so what he does is he enslaves them all. He turns all the, all the Hebrews that live there who up to this point have been living kind of in safety and comfort, makes them all into slaves. This goes on for 400 years. They're slaves, and God raises up Moses, and Moses takes them back to the promised land. Now, we know that because we see it in Scripture, and again, it's 2020. What's that called when you look back? Uh, hindsight. In hindsight, we know what happened, but if you're Joseph or you're 
all these Hebrews, you don't know that, that that's going to happen. And in 400 years, all of those that came from Israel to Goshen, every one of them has died off without seeing the promise fulfilled. But God is working in his own time. And I think the lesson of that is we may not see the promises that God has promised to us as Christians, to us as a nation, in our lifetime. We might, we might not. But it's not because God's failed or God's not interested or God has changed who he wants to bless. It's not his time to fulfill it. And, the only, and if you understand that and have faith in God and God's promises, now you walk in faith instead of walking by sight. You don't become discouraged. You don't become bitter. You don't walk away from God, say, what's he, what's he done for me? Well, Joseph could have said that uh, for many times. So that's really the, 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 the lesson in Joseph's life is God is faithful even when you don't see it because it's not his time yet. Now, the one last thing before we stop. Joseph was like Jesus in a lot of ways. If you step back and you see it, Joseph was innocent of, of anything that caused bad things to happen to him. Jesus obviously was innocent, sinless. Joseph fled temptation. When Potiphar's wife is trying to seduce him, he fled. Well, Jesus, when Satan took him up into the desert, he resisted the temptation. Joseph suffered due to others' sins, his brothers' sins, the things they did. I mean, they tried to kill him. They hated him. They were jealous. All these, all these sins. Well, Jesus suffered because of the sins of others, not of his own. Joseph was in prison for the sins of others. Jesus was imprisoned, in a sense, in death for three days. Joseph rose from his place in the prison, just as Jesus rose from the dead. And then, once rising to incredible power, Joseph. Joseph had the power to just say to his, to his military guys, take my brothers here and just kill them all. Could have done that. Joseph was merciful to his brothers. Jesus was merciful to those who hated him. And, you know, there, there's, there's these parallels all through the Old Testament that if you see them, if you're looking for them, you can see them. Um, in fact, I taught uh, a class once of Christ in every book of the Old Testament because he's there if you're looking for it. And the, the funny way I always remember that is, and I'll just close with this, I rented a car once. I was at the car place, AAA, and they said it's a, it's a Chrysler 300. And I don't know much about cars, and so I don't know if that's a little tin junky thing or that's a really nice car. I had no idea what it was. And I said, well, what is it? <laughs> and, and she said, well, there's one out in the parking lot. 
And I went and looked at it. It was just kind of a medium-sized, normal car. So that's fine. Now, I wasn't going to, so I reserved it, but I wasn't going to pick it up for like two weeks when we flew to Chicago. In those two weeks, driving around town, I see Chrysler 300s everywhere <laughs> because now I'm looking for it. Whereas I had never seen one before. I had no idea what it looked like. They were just, just the same out there, but I wasn't looking for them. You know, and, and that's when you, when you look for Christ or God's hand behind things, you, you start to see it. But if you're not looking for it or aware of it, you don't. And so that's kind of you know, where I want to leave that, that you know, I hope as who knows what's going to happen to our country with the virus, whatever individual things are going on in our lives or families, look for God's hand. And when you don't see how it's going to work out, just remember Joseph didn't see it and, and was faithful and ended up you know, being one of the 12 tribes of Israel, saving all 12. So that's the life of Joseph, just looking at God's hand behind the scenes when it doesn't look like it at all. So let's just uh, close with a quick prayer and call it a night. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is a promise-keeping God. There is no wavering or changing in him. We pray that you would open our eyes, that, that we would see you, your hand, working behind the scenes, bringing about your ultimate plan, even in situations that don't make sense to us. We know that you love us and that you have given us a heart that loves Christ. And we know that you will bring us with you in all eternity, that every promise will be fulfilled. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.